0: Hello and welcome to the Trail Magic Podcast, where we seek to equip college students with resources, biblical teaching, and helpful conversations for the journey ahead. On this episode, Josh will be joined by Michael Talley, the discipleship pastor at Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone, to discuss the topic of depression from Psalm 88. Listen in as Michael shares a few thoughts from scripture on navigating these dark pathways. Let's hit the trail. Hello, College Connection. Good to be seen by you tonight since we can't officially see you. Uh, I'm Josh Hayes, and I think most of you probably know this guy to my right, uh, your left. This is uh, Michael Talley, our discipleship pastor here at Alliance and former college pastor here for seven and a half or eight years. Close to it. Close to that. Awesome. Yeah, the length of some of you, how long you've been in college. But we're uh, we're coming to you tonight with uh, a little bit of a different format. We've been doing some kind of traditional messages. Uh, but tonight, instead of our usual teaching time, we will just want to have a, a conversation together um, to involve you in this last low point we're going to cover in our message series, uh, that of depression. And so several years ago, Michael taught on the psalm that we're going to cover uh, in Psalm 88, and that deals with this topic. And so we're going to use uh, portions of his sermon and that text for our uh, basis for our discussion tonight. So here's how we'll do this. Uh, I'm going to ask some questions of our distinguished guest of honor, the right Reverend Tally, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and he's going to share his thoughts on the matter from uh, his study in the text, text and, and perhaps uh, also his own experience and uh, perspective and time in ministry. So I'm excited about this. So we're going to get this thing going. We're uh, walking through the valley in our message series here tonight and uh, looking at An honest look at some crucial low points um, that some of you most likely are facing right now as you weather this storm with the coronavirus and other situations that are going on in your life. Um, And so I would imagine for many of you, there's a sense of confusion, uh, maybe some, well, probably a lot of disappointment for our our seniors, especially um, some disillusionment that's happening. Um, kind of a lack of general direction as some of you are looking at summer plans and job searches, internships being canceled, and uh, those sorts of things, and just the general difficulty of moving back home, moving away from your community that you had here, and uh, trying to finish out the semester in that way. And so to, to kickstart uh, this discussion, um, Michael, what would you say to uh, the student back home who's starting to sink down kind of into the depths um, as this reality of this new normal uh, has set in, but is is really settling in?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question to start this off. I, I would imagine that a lot of folks listening to this are kind of there, like not starting to sink down, but sunk down. I was just talking to a friend that, how, how are you doing? Man, I think I'm depressed. Like, I think a lot of folks are feeling that burn right now. This has been a, a really unique season. And and I think especially it's hitting people that are in in a transition. You're supposed to be launching and now, and now you're stuck. And so that's a hard place to be. Um, I, I, I like, I went back to my own, uh, college experience, like, like 2005, we graduated the same day you went off and you got married immediately. I went and did an internship down in Daytona beach. And I like, I got to the end of the summer and my future was just black darkness. I had nothing. So I like talked him into letting me stay down there an extra month and then I had nothing to do. So I got in my, my 89 geo prism, drove (laughs) up 95 and went back to my mom and dad's house and was in my like it was in my old room and my mom's critiquing the way I make my bed and like I'm eating I'm in the back seat on a Friday night going on a date with my parents and it's just (laughs) like I, I sunk into a hard place man it was it was not fun so I think I've got a lot of sympathy for the college students that find themselves ready to launch out into a career but you find yourself now back in your childhood bedroom and that's a hard place to be man that's real sad yeah and uh and so, yeah, if you're sinking into that low point of depression, then, uh, man, I, I'm excited about the conversation tonight, and I hope it encourages folks. Um, I think that depression doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. It can be. It can cripple you. It can really get you down. But I, I, don't, I think it can be used for good. And I, I won't get into it too much here, but I just want to frame the whole conversation that God uses depression uh, for our good often. Uh, it's, it's one of the ways that he really does work. And in my life, he's worked in that. And so don't be scared of it, is how I guess I would open up this discussion, but learn to navigate it. Kind of like uh, Elsa and the water horse. You seen Frozen 2? No. You're not seen. <laughs> no, you only have one girl. I got four girls at home. Yeah. yeah you yeah. only got one girl. We yeah, yeah. gotta yeah. watch Frozen Two. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking We're about. We're getting ready
0: to start Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She controls the water horse. Whatever. Yeah. Never mind. So anyway, but uh, <laughs> great, great counsel. Um excited to hear uh, your your thoughts on uh, psalm eighty-eight and, and some of these questions we yeah, prepared. Uh, in your sermon, uh, the text of your sermon, you call Psalm eighty-eight one of the deepest valleys in the Psalter and one of the darkest corners of the Bible. Why in the world uh,
1: should a college student engage with this text? That's a good point. I mean, shoot, if you, I think it would help if you read Psalm eighty-eight uh, uh, through. It's a dark, dark psalm. Like it's like the guy's drowning. And uh, there's, there's not much light that breaks through. Almost all those psalms have like a, a turn where the light shines through, but Psalm 88 doesn't really get there. And so, yeah, it's a good question. Why would we give it to college students? I think college is billed as this time of happy, fun, everything's going to go right, best four, six, seven, eight years of your life, right? And, uh, but you know what? The reality is, is that it's just not for a lot of people. Like life is hard, whether it's in college or whether it's right after college or a pandemic hits, like you're going to run into suffering and you need to be acquainted that uh, with with these dark corners of the Bible that God has given to His people to help us navigate through that. Yeah. Um, when when I uh, first came across Psalm eighty eight and studied it for this message that I preached a couple of years ago, I had just left the graveside of an eighteen year old boy that had died, mm-hmm. and and at the graveside service, like uh, in front of family and friends, this wave of grief literally almost knocked me on my feet. I'm praying, God, don't let me fall over here. Like I've never encountered mm-hmm. grief so deeply. And, and it, by God's providence, I went home and, and began studying Psalm 88. And uh, God knows and God feels like so. there's value in us studying this text mm. and the hard ones. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, being acquainted with uh, corners of the Bible that we, we might ordinarily not want to, to touch. Yeah. Yeah, we need to be equipped. That's good. Um, you, you put in there, I feel like our modern church experience, just generally speaking across the board, Uh, church experience today, um, and you use this word experience on purpose, has trained us to gag at passages like Psalm 88. What what do you mean by that? that our our modern church experience has trained us um, to avoid this sort of thing. Yeah,
1: and I don't think ABF at all. Like, I think we do a good job of teaching the Scriptures, and even this last Sunday about suffering as a way of life. But good point. but, um, But I think in general, if you look back and look at the evangelical world, I mean, we live in an unprecedented world of affluence. Like we're richer, more comfortable than we ever have been. I was actually reading this morning um, in a, a book randomly about about our affluences that the average American adult is four inches taller than the average American adult a hundred years ago. <laughs> how, how do you feel about that stat? Next question. <laughs> I'm just <kidding. laughs> All I to say is that like, man, we're well fed. We are like, like we have the best health care in the world, and like, we're just comfortable people and. And uh, we have everything that we need. I think about um, so when we were in college, the building across from Local Lion, it, it didn't look beautiful. What? What? You remember that? Yeah, it was the Scottish Inn, right? Yeah, the hotel for rats. <laughs> and now they they, <laughs> they br- br- bulldozed it and built this wonderful thing. And they call it the Standard. Like this is the normal experience for college students. Mm. Just even 15 years ago, when me and I, when you were in college, we were living in apartments that were more Scottish Inn than Standard. And. Uh, <laughs> And just even in just a few short years, like the, ex- like the experience is like, we expect comfort and affluence. And I think our modern church has kind of hitched onto that wagon and said, We're, we want to join in on that too. And you walk into a lot of church buildings and the pastor's wearing $600 Jordans and $200 t-shirts and everybody's got these perfectly, you know, white smiles and er- everything is good. Victory, 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 never singing a minor key. And, um, I just think we give people the impression that life is all good, mm. and, and and sometimes it's not though. And and I think like the message of the Bible is victory, but in the New Testament, it's victory through the cross, and um, like Jesus triumphed suffering through death. Suffering comes first. Yeah, he triumphed through death, and we triumph through suffering. And so we need these, um, like we need these psalms. In other yeah. words, so, that's
0: good. You um, you also say that this psalm doesn't resolve, uh, whereas most uh, you know, psalms like this, they turn a corner. This one doesn't resolve. But then you say, sometimes life doesn't resolve. Um, I've, I've heard it said before, there are problems to solve and then there are tensions to manage. You know, a math problem, you solve it. Uh, something like your serpentine belt in your, in your car engine, it has to stay in tension to function. So there are problems that we solve and then there are tensions that we have to hold in, in a balance in our lives um clearly life is not one math problem with one clear answer all the time so how do we learn to manage the tensions
1: in life that's a really good point i mean i love how you say that too i've heard you say that several times and i think it's important and i think dep- like seasons of depression are really uh powerful because they show us that like like you can't it's not just like a formula like you can't just get through it like you're just stuck right and it's a it's a tension you got to manage I think just to answer that question, how do you manage some of these tensions and some of these seasons? I think you get better at it by age. I really Mm -hmm. do. Is where I would just, like, as I look back over the course of my life, I think when I was younger, even in college, seasons of depression would come upon me and they would terrify me because they would just seem wild and unexplained. And like, I had no, like, I could could navigate it and I didn't know what to do. And I think now that I've got a little little age on me that I, I can see some patterns. And so, like, two examples come to my mind. I think of uh, um, seasonal issues and then circumstantial issues. I think seasonally, like, like it was the weirdest thing. For most of my life, like, every August I would go into a pit. And I didn't notice this until, like, I lived through many Augusts, and I realized, like, why am I so stinking depressed every August? Like, it's the peak of summer. Mm. I should be feeling really great right now and enjoying life. Uh, I hated August, but it real like, I think I realized that, like, like for the first 30 years of my life, 28 of them were spent at a summer camp where I would give 10 weeks, 100 hours weeks where I'm just like like intense seasons of ministry, laying out my guts, doing everything that I can, carrying burdens, leading worship, teaching, all that stuff. And then I get to August and I would crash. Yeah. And I just never made that connection. Yeah. But now, That's like I think once I made that connection, I could prepare for it a little bit more. Yeah. Like know that I'm going to get sad. I'm gonna I'm going to go through some—August is going to be difficult. It's going to go away though. September is going to right. be okay. And yeah. so I think you just learn how to navigate some of these tensions. Yeah.
0: I think that's a good word too because I think there's a lot of times when we get stuck in a difficult spot circumstantially or seasonally, we're accustomed, like our, our, our lives might have a rhythm and we hit this low spot. We have a tendency to think, I'll be there for, for, for forever. Yeah, exactly. Instead of this is going to pass and I'm going to move through that. So I think. There's a lot of wisdom in what you say about as you get older, you, you have more experiences behind you in the bank, and you're able to say, well, that was hard, that was undesirable, but I made it through that. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think that's good.
1: Uh-huh. And then uh, there's another, like, just a different set. There's a season of my life that was different than that, but, like, at 2009, 2010, just a horrible season where, I, like, we watched my mom go through 13 months of a... a failing battle with cancer and it was a very public event i had uh intestinal surgery took out like so i'm like watching my mom die in a hospital bed now i'm in a hospital bed and i was depressed man i I was in this horrible season and i and i actually went to the doctor and was like i need some medication like i've got it like i can't get out of this and he wisely just asked me about my life and what am i reading i was reading a book called my name is asher lev which is about a jewish boy whose mom is dying I was listening to a band called bright eyes you remember them mm. it sounds fun it was not it was like de- horribly depressing music and so i just realized that my input puts, that i was feeding into my brain the entertainment it was just dragging me down and like that was an eye-opening experience for me i like took away that book took away that music and started like filling it with redemptive music like mm. rich mullins mm. um andrew peterson that was like actually like point me to jesus and mm. and uh so I'm, I'm learning a lot and I have learned that like those things matter. Going out on a run when you're depressed it matters. Mm. Like those things really do help. Yeah, that's so.
0: good. So so part of managing that tension is kind of a full orbed approach to uh, taking care of yourself in, in multiple... I've heard John Piper say before that one of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is get eight good hours of sleep. And it, I completely agree. You know, And you think about Elijah. And when he went through what he did, you know, uh, the angel, you know, let him lay down and go to sleep and woke him up and had some food on the hot stones right right. there. And then it went through that a couple of times. And really, the goal there was to uh, minister to his physical need, because his physical need was creating this spiritual sagging in his life. I, th- I think sometimes it's easy I think back when I was in college I did not take care of myself well at all mm, me neither stayed up way too late I mean just you know you know a lot of imbalance in, in my life and and uh, I think it's an easy time to unintentionally run yourself into the ground and you're not able to manage that tension yeah you know yeah and then you get to a thing you get to a, a low spot and you're thinking gosh this is a problem I've got to solve when you can manage that tension oh. all along as best you can yeah. and help. Yeah, good degree.
1: man. If you look at my journal entries for back in college, they were just these existential crises. And now, like, I feel the same way, but really, you're exactly right. Like, man, if I could get eight, nine hours of sleep tonight, and I, I do, the next morning, I feel like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Sometimes it's way more simple than you realize. Right. So, yeah. that's a good point.
0: Good. Um, <clears throat> moving on, uh, you point out that um, the writer of Psalm 88 seems to be obsessed with death. He lists mm. virtually every synonymous word or phrase he can think of to describe it. Um, What do you see is the value in contemplating death and uh, mortality during this phase of life when you're kind of coming into your own in so many different ways? Uh, And I'll say this before you answer the question. I had a good friend who in his 20s used to go for prayer walks in the local graveyard to remind himself that while he stood upright uh, in his 20s, he was going to be laying prostrate on his back, you know, decomposing one day in the same spot where he was passing those folks. Um, he was gonna be in that same place one day too uh, and so what's the value of contemplating
1: death and mortality for somebody in this age range that's a crazy story man real quick before I answer that, I, I like I don't know this friend that you're talking about very well but like that seems like a strange thing to do but I would imagine that he's probably developed a lot of wisdom oh my goodness man like I, and I think that's why you think about death I mean I think of Psalm 90 uh, like, teach us to number our days, O oh Lord. Why? So that I may gain a heart of wisdom. So there's something valuable. The same book that I, I was reading this morning talked about how we're dust. Like, you get, a, you get a, a a scrape and it scabs up. And I think that's just a reminder that we came from dust and we're going to return to dust. Mm. And our world likes to just dress it up and go, you're never going to die. And we're just playing this game. Right. And it's just not... And I think a pandemic like this reminds us that we're very fragile. And there's value in us just to stop and think about death. And Psalm 88 does that, man. Like, there's like... Like, he went to his thesaurus and talked about die, and he just listed it all there. I mean, it is a very dark song. Like, he's drowning, and he's about to die. And um, hmm. it's okay for us to be, come face-to-face with our mortality. You come away wiser, especially when you think of the Christian message behind that.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm reading a, a short little book on George Whitefield and his evangelistic zeal, and it said he had, he had a, a single-mindedness Um and it was essentially for two things: for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Mm. And so he was able to endure. He was physically attacked, uh, and his life, you know, was at risk. There, he he had a, numerous other issues uh, that um, that he faced in in a difficult period of time where he didn't have all the comforts and conveniences that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so he the, people back then faced
1: their own mortality daily, and we don't think about that. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. We think if we we can just ignore it, it'll go away. Then yeah. It just doesn't work that way, though. Absolutely. It slips up on you. And yep. so I think if you don't think about death during a global pandemic, I think you're missing an opportunity. Hmm. I really do. I think this is a season where we remember, like, there's a time to rejoice. There's a time to weep and hmm. mourn. So I-, I think this is a good That's opportunity a good word. for us.
0: Um, what makes the, the Christian perspective on death different from the way an unbelieving world looks at death? What's different about uh, a Christian and how we view
1: uh, our life and our death? Jesus. I'm the resurrection and the life. Some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. In fact, when uh, we uh, like when we were building, like our kids were starting to grow and they started asking hard questions about death, and I just love that verse to tell her like, that if you believe in Christ, you're not going to die. Mm. Like that you go like it's but it's just like we're sleeping, mm. and that's a powerful like a revolutionary message that Jesus has defeated death. It's like he's taking this this the the serpent and taking out the fangs. Of death, and it's a, it truly is a revolutionary message. And I I don't know if, I mean, like, if you're a Christian and you're not thinking about death, uh, you you might not be also thinking about resurrection. That like death has been defeated.
0: So, off the cuff here, do you think that there are some personality types that are more inclined uh, to swim in these waters, and then other people? Um, Maybe like myself, <laughs> tend to avoid them because of a, a personality wiring.
1: Maybe I mean it could be personality. I think it's more societal. I really do. Like okay. so, um, my wife Laura's got me into this one of her favorite books, Weathering Heights*, which is written in the Victorian age. And it's pretty interesting reading about this book. It's a very grim, dark book, and I, I think I Tim, read that in high school. Did you really? Yeah, it's pretty good. I'll, I'll endorse. <laughs> it. It's good. But um, like I, I think I've heard Tim Keller talk about in the Victorian age, they wouldn't dare talk about sex, but. They'll talk about death all day long. And we're the exact opposite. Like, wow. we are a sex-saturated... Like, even, like, one of the ladies in this book on Wuthering Heights had, like... She, like, did up her fingernails, and they're like, it's a scandal. And yet, they're talking about ghosts, and all... Like, it's a very morbid book. Yeah. But our society is the exact opposite, man. We'll, like, dress up every... Talk about sex all day long, but, like, don't you dare talk about death. Interesting. So I think it's a societal issue that just has trained us not to talk about death. But if you don't talk about death, you can't talk about resurrection. That's a good point. You know? And so I do I'm think worried. there's a, a correlation that there's a hope there that, like, it comes by talking about death. So you look death in the face, you just, the hope of the resurrection comes. So.
0: Well, I think in imitating Christ, too, you know, it says he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He knew what was in Jerusalem. Yeah. You know? And he intentionally chose that course. Yeah. Um, that's good. You mentioned C.S. Lewis's idea that God was training the Israelites to focus on him rather than on the afterlife. Uh, you follow it with the thought that the Psalms train our hearts to love God and not His stuff. Talk about that for a moment. Why sure. is that important?
1: Well, yeah, like just to give that quote a little bit more context, I think the Old Testament doesn't have that same hope. That's why you look at Psalm 88 and he's drowning and he's like, don't let me die because if I die, it's over. Like the Jews didn't really have a, a, a as much of a picture of the afterlife as Christians do. And C.S. Lewis says that it was intentional so that they would train their heart to, to go to God, right? Mm. And so... Um, So I think that's where where depression and sadness and sorrow and thinking about our mortality can be a real valuable teacher for us um, because it really trains our heart to God. Um, I think we tend to be a real materialistic society. We value ourselves and what we own um, and what we accumulate. And so when we think of the afterlife in heaven, what do we think about? The pearly gates, the golden streets, all the blessings and all of the material stuff. And depression takes that away. Like if you've gone through a season of depression, it's like your stuff doesn't matter. It's like, who cares? like, And all that's left is you and the Lord. Mm. And I think that's where depression can be a real tutor in our lives to really train our hearts. It's you and God. And uh, so, yeah, I think it can teach us.
0: That's good. Uh, In the second point of your message, you talk about how the author of Psalm 88 is specifically blaming God for his pain. Uh, I think that thought makes a lot of people uncomfortable.
1: Um, Isn't
0: God out to give us his best? It's
1: a hard point, isn't it? Like, you look, this, look at some of these, like Psalm 88, 6. You've put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You overwhelm me. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a hoarder. Uh, why, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? I suffer your terror. I mean, he goes on and on and on. And I think it, like you can read that and go, the guy's theologically lightweight. Like He doesn't know that God would never do this. But actually, I think he's very tuned in. More so than we typically are. Hmm. Like when, when suffering comes our way, and maybe, maybe you're listening to this and you've gone through a season of depression, it's easy for you to think, God would never have me here. And I think that's where Psalm 88 can teach us. Like, yeah, God does send us to the darkness. Like God does have our best in mind, but our best isn't what we would think necessarily. Like, like it's different. Like God sends us through, like Hebrews 12 is really good on this. Like God disciplines his children. Um, and it's never, pl- it's never pleasant, it's always painful, but, but that we'll love him and that we'll know him more. And so I think God does send us through these. Uh, and I think Psalm 88 really like was a huge turning point in my life when I wrestled with this text originally to realize that these hard things that are happening to me have God's hand behind them. Hmm. And if you realize that God's hand is behind this sorrow in your heart, I think you deal with it a lot differently. Like if you don't know that God is causing your depression and your your hardness and your what do you do you grind it out and you try to get through it you medicate with Netflix and with sex and with alcohol and with whatever you can just to grind through it but if you see God's hand leading you there I think you might learn a little bit more and you might be curious and to go what, what sins do I need to repent of and it makes a huge difference in, yeah, in knowing the, the cause of it so yeah yeah.
0: So in your third point, you point out that uh, the writer's friends have even left him, that he is utterly alone. So when you think about your time in college ministry, uh, what connections did you observe between loneliness and between depression? So like your experience as a college student and then also your experience serving as a college pastor, ministering to students who are, you know, combating loneliness and how that can go, you know, lead into depression.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly I saw it as a college pastor, but even as a college student back in the early 2000s, uh, we, we joke about this all the time. We went to school at the same time, but we had really dramatically different college experiences. I, I came into App as a, as a transfer student, and so I, I miss a freshman year. And so if you're a transfer student out there, you relate with me. You know, you know that's a tricky balance. And so I had three years where I never really fit anywhere, and so I just kind of bounced around and never really plugged into a group. And so I was I look at those lo- those years as a very lonely time for me. I-, I remember even as I was preparing for this that there-, there were nights that I would be cooking my mac and cheese in my apartment and realize, like, I haven't talked to anybody all day long. <laughs> so I would, like, <clears throat> Hello? In my empty apartment while I'm making my dinner. Like... Um, I, I just kind of slid under the radar, and it was really, really sad for me. Mm. Um, and I've seen that with our with with students and like in my time in ministry. Like, I think I, I think different factors, maybe more technology, has isolated people. But I think loneliness leads to depression very naturally. We're social beings, and, and so if you're if you're there, I mean, I get it because we, we haven't been able to see people. And I think I think this pandemic's really taking its toll on twenty somethings. Um, but but as I look back at my own loneliness, like I think of uh, that same apartment. Like I can remember the spot where like I would sit down and read the Bible for hours and hours and hours. And so, again, just to put a, a redemptive message on it, it doesn't have to be just like like drive you away from people and completely isolate you. God used that season to like completely transform my life and draw mm-hmm. me closer to Him. Yeah,
0: and I think about a lot of uh, stories in the Scripture where, um, like like Paul uh, just preached on Second Timothy chapter four, where oh. he says in Second Timothy four seventeen. Uh, but everyone had left him, but the Lord stood by him mm-hmm. um, uh, at his last defense so that the gospel would go forward. So there was a redemptive purpose in Paul's loneliness, but in Paul's loneliness, the Lord stood by him. And I mean, I think about, men, Moses and Gideon and David and just, you know, so many people that were uh, alone and uh, the Lord uh, comforted them. I think about Psalm 23, verse 4, you know, when we go mm-hmm. through the valley, the shadow of death and that dark, dark of uh, darkest valleys. Uh, The Lord's with us as our shepherd, and so we don't walk alone. No, Uh, and so uh, it's interesting that sometimes, um, while we feel disconnected from people, that can be our richest experiences in intimately relating
1: to God. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, the noise goes away, and I would say that to people again. Of all the people I've talked to, it's the it's the college age students, twenty somethings that are taking the brunt of it. But I would just say, like, don't waste the silence and the isolation. Like, it's, it's going to end, Lord willing, but don't waste it. Like, don't yeah. just, like, clutter your life with more noise. Like, be silent. Man, that's a great word. And be silent. And be, don't be scared to be silent. Yeah, that's a really, really good word. I think about Psalm
0: 4, I think, where it talks about, he says, I'm you know, lay on my bed and you sustain me, yeah. you know, through the watches of the night. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, you also make a strong point that community is not the ultimate goal, but that God himself is the ultimate goal, the real goal of our lives. So how can a student practically... Uh, In the nitty-gritty details of life, how can a student practically continue to pursue God even in the midst of these sinking feelings of loneliness and depression where the black clouds don't part but they just kind of like keep hanging over you? you know, uh, like a, who was it, pig pen on Charlie Brown, you know? <laughs> Shake it. When yeah. it just kind of like follows you, how do you keep pursuing God practically speaking? What
1: would you tell students to keep doing? Yeah, that's a really good question. <clears throat> um, and there's not much. And I think that's the point. But if I could just give you one word, I'd say don't stop praying. And I think that is the only light that shines through, like in, in Psalm 88, the door doesn't, you know, the window doesn't flood, flood open and light shine in, but there's a sliver that cracks through the bottom of the door, and it's this that he doesn't stop praying. Like, there's like two or three examples. At the beginning of the psalm, at the end of the psalm, he goes, I keep crying out to you day and night. And I think there's something we need to learn from that, that like he's depressed, he's drowning, he's facing his own mortality, but he doesn't stop praying. And like, that's the the, the last thing. I know when I'm depressed, like the last thing I want to do is pray. And sometimes you have to be roused out of that. Like the flesh doesn't want to go to God. It wants to nurse wounds and mm-hmm. medicate and mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. Um, but it, sometimes you just need to be roused, and if this video could serve that purpose, just like pray, like mm-hmm. as soon as this this is over and you shut your laptop, like cry out to God. Even if that prayer doesn't resolve anything, keep praying. Like that's a practical step that you can take. Just yeah. do it, and you'll be transformed in the process. That's awesome. Really good,
0: um, man. That's good. <clears throat> Near the end of your message, you say something uh, that that again might seem kind of shocking. To some folks, I'm going to read it. It's a little bit of a lengthier quote, but it says, Psalm 88 teaches us to pray through the tears. So here you go again, praying. (laughs) Pray through the tears to keep crying out to God even when he sends us through his holy fires. It leaves us a little sad and that's okay. I think we need to accept the reality of sorrow more often. I really don't want to slap a happy ending on this message because the psalm doesn't end on a happy note. If God is sending you through the fire, I don't want to alleviate the pain. If his godly grief is doing work on your soul, I want to let it work. Um, so has there been a time in your life, and you've talked about it a little bit, but has there been a time in your life when you felt like the Lord was uh sending you, leading you, ordaining you to go through a, a period of loneliness, grief, sadness to do
1: a work in your life that that maybe could not happen any other way? Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the story of my life, honestly. Like and I don't I don't want to be dramatic about that, but yes, absolutely. Like, sorrow has played a role in my life more so than just about anything else. Um, as I was thinking about this question, I thought about the movie Inside Out. You familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who's Good the star one. of that movie? I mean, you think it's Joy, right? Right. Like, she's at the control panel. She's got, like, the yellow one, if you remember the movie. Um, I think the movie subtly shows you at the very end that the true hero is sadness. Mm-hmm. That, like, when, when Riley moved to San Francisco, she had to go through some hard times. But sadness was there, and sadness kind of sweetened the joy it made the joy a little bit more um, powerful. Mm-hmm. And C.S. Lewis riffs on that a lot. No. Like the pain, inf- like alleviates the, or like emphasizes the joy. Yeah. And uh, so I'd say, man, if, as I look back through my life, I, I see lots of dark periods, but it, all it's done is just sweeten my life. It makes you more grateful, man. Like it see, like you can smell things better and see things better and hear things better. Um, and so I, I think it has just enriched my life. And then the second thing I would say too that what it's done to me is that like. Um, it's allowed me to minister to people at a deeper level. Uh, you think of 2 Corinthians 1, where as ministers, we're told to comfort other people with what? With the same comfort we've received from God. And so God cuts us deeply, and He he heals us with the gospel, and out of that overflow, we now heal other people with the gospel. Mm. The same comfort that we received.
0: So. That's good.
1: Um, outside of college, like in your adult
0: life, as students think about launching out of here in a couple of weeks, uh, in a couple of years, whatever the case is going to be for them. In your young adult years, into your 30s now, has there been uh, any other example or period um, outside of the college experience as they look forward to where they're heading, uh, where you have faced uh, loneliness, grief, sad, sadness that has profoundly shaped you?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, constant. <laughs> yeah, like lots of seasons. And again, I think I can navigate it and manage it a little bit more, but I mean, there's career issues, there's marriage issues, there's family issues, there's raising kids. I mean, just there's like, in this world, you will have trouble. Mm. But <laughs> like, take heart. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Yeah. And so let those times of sadness, don't don't freak out, but like let them drive you to the Lord. And find good friendships to help you get through it.
0: That's a good practical key, uh, mm. being able to lean on other people. That's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question. Any final words of encouragement that you have for our students who might be battling through a dark season of the soul called depression? Um, for folks who are, are going to go back and read Psalm eighty-eight and go in, like I'm there, or I- I've been there for a long time. I'm ready to come out of there. Or maybe they have a friend who's going through that, mm-hmm. and they want to think about how can I, how how can I comfort? How can I minister? How can I encourage without being uh, offering just cheap platitudes? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, any final words of encouragement yeah. that you would like to say to our students? Yeah, well, I hope
1: you will engage with Psalm 88, and then I hope you'll take your Bible and thumb over to the right a little bit and find Isaiah 57. As I was reflecting on that question, you gave me a little time to prep on these questions, and as I was reflecting on that, Psalm 50, or Isaiah 57 came to mind. Let me let me close with this. That, yeah. For thus says the, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. It goes on. So uh, Isaiah 57 is a powerful text about how God is with us when we're in the ashes and when we're we're wasting away. Like God is there. Like He's a, a, a transcendent God, but He's so imminent even in our, our suffering. Um, and so as, as I think of the gospel, I think of the the hope of the gospel in the future is that one day God will wipe away your tear. Mm. Like. Hold on to that. But the hope of the gospel today is that Jesus is with you in your tears. And uh, He came and He knows.
0: That's good. He took on flesh. Yeah. yeah. I think that the only thing I would add to that, uh, that's an excellent word, the only thing i add to that is something that the Lord has been emphasizing in my life as I've listened to several podcasts on prayer and on folks teaching on prayer. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, where uh, Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, and the intimacy Mm -hmm. that... Nobody really before Jesus had ever wanted to approach. Like God was the Father, but they were hesitant. They wouldn't even pronounce, you know, Yahweh, yeah. uh, and they certainly wouldn't call him our Father. And Jesus comes along so other, yeah. and says, uh, we're, "We're your children." And you think about you have five kids, I got five kids, and you think about the intimacy between a child and. Uh-huh. A father and a mother. You know, I had two of them come in and interrupt me in my sleep the other night, back to back, uh, and kept me up most of the night, actually, because I couldn't get back to sleep. Uh, But they feel completely comfortable coming into my bedroom in the middle of the night and tapping on my foot, my leg, my arm, and saying, Daddy, wake up, I need you. And when I've heard Bible teachers talk about, um, you know, talk about our Father and the intimacy we have with God, That's really moved me to think differently about that prayer and differently about who God is Mm. and what he wants from us, that he yearns for our prayers. Um, And that's that's been revolutionary, really, for me in the last two days, actually. Um, And so just that intimacy. um, So, yeah, I I would just add that to what you've said. I I really appreciate it. you know, your thoughts on that.
1: So. I yeah, man. Thanks for letting me do this. Yeah, Thanks,
0: man. yeah, man. This has been fantastic. Um, I hope this has been helpful for you all uh, in our college ministry. If there's folks that you know of who are struggling with uh, a period of depression or despair over things that are going on in our world or in their own living room, um, feel free to share this conversation with them. Hopefully it will be a spiritual help to them. That's our goal in this. And I certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time to prepare through these questions and engage with me and uh, and with our um Uh, our students on this very deep and difficult subject. Uh, I'm grateful for uh, your time. I'm grateful for your place in my life. Um, I mean, three days ago, I was struggling with some things and you said, hey, let's go pray. And so this guy lives out what he's talking about. He takes me around the parking lot and we we pray together. And I think that's uh, that's valuable. And we're grateful. I speak for myself and for our students for your time in college ministry Mm -hmm. and uh, the impact you've made on our church and our students. And so uh, we want to thank you all for tuning in with us. This evening, uh, we want you to know collectively, we're, we're hand in hand together here, serving you guys, that we love you, that we are praying for you, that we want to keep hearing from you uh, as we land the plane on this weird wobbly and sideways into the spring semester. Uh, I would say this, um, this too shall pass, truly, and uh, we will move forward, uh, Lord willing, and uh, and we'll continue walk with Him. It'll be all good. Last thing before I let you go, I want to say a huge uh, special thank you to the man behind the camera right now listening, uh, Caleb Kimbra. We appreciate you uh, very much and uh, all of your work. He's made all this happen and uh, it's been fantastic. So we appreciate Caleb a ton. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's been great. Hope it's been helpful for you all. Let me just pray real quick and then we'll we'll head out, all right? Father, I just want to uh, come before you and uh, thank you for the ability for us to uh, have and host this conversation to interact with uh, this book that speaks into uh, our joys and our sadnesses, our triumphs and our trials and our tragedies. And I just pray that this uh, text first because it's your word and this conversation after that would minister to folks who hear this. We thank you for Michael, pray a special blessing on him for how he has ministered to me, uh, to Caleb and to these students. Hopefully he'll be watching this and uh, learning and growing. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us and for who you are uh, and for the hope that you offer to us in the midst of our darkness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Trail Magic is a production of the College Ministry of Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone, North Carolina. For more information, go to abfboone.org. Thanks for
1: tuning in.